Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the Map Round Show. Uh, yes, and with us on the line to talk about failures in business, the gory, ugly stuff of failing and everything we learned uh, is none other than the man, the legend, Rohit Garawal, the uh, CEO of Object Edge. Welcome to the show. Hey, Matt, thanks for inviting me. Appreciate it. Cool, buddy. See, we all make mistakes here every day. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, here we go. Uh, so why don't you quickly uh, kick us off with the elevator pitch. Tell us what we need to know. Yeah, look, uh, I'm CEO of Object Edge. Uh, we're an IT and services and consulting firm based out of the Bay Area here in California. Offices in Sao Paulo, Brazil, Porto Alegre, Brazil, and Mumbai, India. And of course, really not spread out all over the world thanks to uh, COVID. So we are fully remote. Uh, but primarily, man, we help large-scale B2B organizations solve this problem that we like to call an experience and data problem. Like, how do we solve friction points between buyers and sellers leveraging technology? So e-commerce, uh, CRM, uh, OMS, all these different systems are leveraged really to just solve a major problem, which is, hey, there's friction points between my buyers and sellers in B2B. How can I leverage digital to solve those problems? And how can I leverage data to solve those problems? And we're a system integrator and consulting firms that help solve that. Awesome. So can you give us an, an example of like how you remove some of the friction between buyers and sellers? Yeah. So you're a large manufacturer, let's say, in the United States, do about $9 billion worth of revenue. And you've got this sales team, maybe you've got 100 people, 150 people pounding the ground, building relationships with different organizations, let's say in government, other large scale organizations. Um, and these sellers, these sales reps are, you know, producing quotes, they're finding opportunities and they're, and they're sending over quotes to clients. And sometimes these clients are saying, Hey, it's taking me two weeks sometimes to get the quotes or the pricing's incorrect, or I can't tell when this is even going to get shipped. So all these kinds of questions that come up, well, how can you introduce a digital experience to remove that friction point? So for example, um, oftentimes we enable this thing called self-quoting where a, a customer of one of my clients might say, hey, instead of calling a sales rep to say, hey, I need these 100 parts, they can just go online, create a quote for those 100 parts and submit it. So we would build that entire online experience where they can go and buy that uh, and build a quote and potentially even buy it. So e-commerce, for example. Brilliant. Thank you. So what is your story of fail for our audience around the world today? Yeah. Um, I guess my story of fail, I mean, there's, there was a lot to choose from Matt, to be honest. <laughs> um, but I think the thing that I've learned most from just more recently as we try to grow. So I, I, I took over as CEO of OE probably about two and a half years ago, but I've been in this space of consulting for almost 25 years. Um, and the nice, the amazing thing about consulting is as you're working with these customers, you learn something new every day. I would say that most recently my story of failure that I would like to share is one where you've got to know when to let a good thing go. So sometimes what ends up happening is <clears throat> most recently we, we are built on this relationship of ecosystems. So we're a big Oracle partner. We're a big Salesforce partner and several other ecosystems. And oftentimes as technologies change or companies get bought out, there are signs that, Hey, this technology stack is now getting old and it's time to move on to the next technology stack as a partner to help push the industry forward. But you've got so many relationships in an ecosystem. You've got so many, so much good stuff going 
the previous dollars you made seem so good. You're like, no, there's there's got to be something else wrong. There's got to be something else wrong. And then all of a sudden that ecosystem is gone and you're left holding the bag. So in this most recent case, Oracle, obviously one of the largest software companies in the world, is always making changes to their stack. Um, and in this particular case, um, they have an e-commerce solution called Oracle Commerce Cloud. Um, for us, at least as a partner, sales were going down over the last couple of years in 2021, 2022. And we were wondering why as one of their largest partners. And there was always a good reason why that we convinced ourselves why that was happening. And it turns out in August of 2022, Oracle makes an announcement that they're killing the platform. There could be a number of different reasons for it, consolidation, right? But at the end of the day, we saw the signs on the wall and we didn't shift fast enough. And what ended up happening was we ended up losing projects um, for a $20 million company. We lost about 4 or $5 million of revenue instantly as companies were like, oh my gosh, this product's no longer available. We need to jump to something else. And it's something we could have, definitely could have avoided. So that would be my story. I, I saw the signs on the wall, but I was hesitant of leaving because it was such a good thing for so long. We were great partners for 10 years, great people over there. Um, and then one day we wake up in August and everyone's fired and, and the product shut down. So uh, what did this experience teach you? What do you take forward with you as a as Trust a your lesson? gut. I mean, number one, trust my gut. It, I had this feeling um, for at least 24 months that something was wrong, that the tea leaves weren't matching up. All I had to do was trust the numbers as well. So trust your gut and trust the numbers. If you've been running a business that's been very successful and growing and all of a sudden it's not, something changed. And, you know, there's this great saying about product market fit. Um, if you have to choose between product and market, market always wins. So even though I love the product and I love the ecosystem and I love the people, the market had spoken that that's not where they wanted to go. So trust your gut, trust the numbers and between product and market, market always wins. Those are three key takeaways I, I, I learned. So just to add to that, my previous uh, company, we had a media business, we were doing lead gen for Oracle partners, Microsoft partners, SAP, IBM, all these guys. Um, and similar situation happened to us where we basically exhausted the ecosystem potential for what we were offering. And unfortunately, yep. that business died. I actually need to record my own uh, my own secrets of fail because I would say I'm actually going to do it and then I'm going to send it to you, Rohit, because because you'll watch you go like, yeah, that, that at least and, I'm not alone. <laughs> and there's and there's fear associated with it, right, Matt? I yeah. mean, there's this fear that you've got a good thing. What's the next thing you're going to jump into? How are you going to re How are you going to reskill the organization? Um, now, at the end of the day, just to kind of in case any of our employees are listening, the the long term roadmap of Oracle. We, there's still several years. There's a lot of customers still on it. Oracle is still supporting it. For us, though, as a growth company, where we're a services company that's looking to grow to $100 million in the next five years, it's definitely not where the growth is. So whereas some companies have invested tens of millions of dollars in the platform, and it's a great platform, and they will Oracle will continue to support it, it's not where we're seeing the growth is. So we should have shifted not away from Oracle two years ago. We should have started diversifying two years ago. I just want to make sure I'm being very clear. So it doesn't have to be as for other CEOs that are in similar situations. When you're reading the tea leaves, it's not an all or nothing thing. You don't have to, you don't have to make it. As, there's oftentimes middle ground, but you can start contingency planning and start investing where the future is. And we didn't make those investments fast enough. 
How do you spot the future? So you know that whole story around uh, the canary in the coal mine, right? So the canary would fall off its perch and then it would be, you know, um, it would be the time to get the hell out of Dodge. Um, And I I believe personally is that with the two things here, one is like only the paranoid survive. So I remember being in a meeting going, I actually, even though we doubled revenues every year for three years, I I sat in in a board meeting and I was like, we're actually at risk. We're under threat. And it was this yeah. this this paranoia around like, well, what happens if then what happens, you know? And I think that this using this uh, analogy of um, of the canary in the coal mine, like every industry has their own canary, and it's just that the CEO or the founder is not thinking about what are my warning signs. To your point, like, is is it my gut telling me that hey, this is something that is going to cause us problems? Or, you know, and being very, and looking for these things. I mean, you know, take SVB as an example. I mean, like, what if, and what if happens? Yeah. I think that, uh, well, first off, you have to have a certain level of understanding about your industry, and it has to go quite deep. So you understand what are the warning signs to look for. So I like to use this analogy that our team, and you also have to fundamentally believe in your overall market. So in this particular case, when I talked about my lessons learned, the overall market of helping digitally transform friction points and experiences between buyers and sellers is a huge market. What I'm talking about is what are the solutions that our clients are going to use to solve that problem? So I have an inherent incredible amount of belief that this is a huge problem that needs to be solved over the next, let's say, three to five years. So now it's not getting married to the solution. It's being fundamentally wed to the problem we're solving, not to the solutions we're using to solve the problem. So that's one thing in terms of your canary in the coal mine. It's it's having a clear understanding of what the coal mine is and what the canary is. So again, for me, our space of digitally transforming these experiences between sellers and buyers, for me, is 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 a real problem. I got married to one solution. We have to be open-minded to say that there's multiple solutions to this problem. And what does the market want? Not what do we want? Because I do think there are, and you have to be, I think I do think you have to be okay with where you are and where your position is in the market. I don't want to be, nor have a desire to, to be, or have any aspirations to be a $100 billion company. So in that sense, we don't have to be the first to the market. We don't have to be the first to to challenge the status quo. The space is big enough where others will blaze that path for us. We just have to be ready to jump to it when the market has proven itself to be at least relatively mature. There's this great book called A Growth Chasm, and they always talk about this chasm of growth, right? You're too big to be small, but too small to be big. So I do think you have to have objective warning signs. So in your answer question of like, how do you know? Set up objective warning signs that are numbers-based, that take all emotion out of it. Set up those pillars, like those milestones. I I think of them as green, yellow, and red. Have these green kind of flags that, uh uh-oh, is there something wrong here? And it's an objective. It could be pipeline, you know, looking out three, six, 12 months out. Hey, my pipeline's not where it needs to be. Have yellows. Hey, immediate deals aren't closing that I thought. And of course, maybe your red is my cash flow is dropping precipitously and you know, we're under attack. So you can set up these objective milestones that are data-driven as long as you have belief in your overall market. 
and then follow those objective milestones and truly believe in them and say, hey, my triggers that I had set up when everything was going good are being triggered. I need to do something either to verify what triggered that. And yeah, I feel good about it. Or, uh-oh, there's a real problem and I need to, I need to adapt. Mm-hmm. So that's how I would, I, would, I would relay to people is what we're doing now. It, like, for example, there's another ecosystem, I'm not going to take any names, where we're seeing something very similar that the, the pipeline just isn't there. And now what we've done is we set up a, we set up 180 days. We needed to see these definitive improvements in pipeline. If it's not happening. We're out of that ecosystem. And we recently made a decision to leave that ecosystem because of that. And I feel really good about that decision. Mm-hmm. So Rohit, let's go back in time. If you could go back in time in the map run show time machine and do things differently, what would you do differently and why? I mean, very specific to our company um, and in, in relative to the audience listening, I'll try to make it so that it's not just only for IT service company. What I would have done is in 2020, when I started seeing a drop in overall top of funnel pipeline, from which, is, which was at that time 90% of our business, I would have gotten much more aggressive in finding out what's going on. I didn't want to say the wrong thing or I didn't want to embarrass the wrong people and I didn't want to burn these relationships. But at the end of the day, this is business. And I really feel like if you can't have an open conversation with your partners, then you don't have a really good partnership at all. So what I would have done two years ago, let's say in early 2020, is I would have asked for definitive numbers from my partners like, hey, guys, we used to be driving a $100 million pipeline a year. We're down to 40. What's going on? Are we doing something wrong? If it is, who are the people that are saying what we're doing wrong? Tell me their names. Let me go address it head on. Do you just not have the numbers? And if they say, of course, they're going to say, we have the numbers. Show me the numbers. Show me your pipeline. We're partners. We've been doing this for 10 years. We've done tons of business together. I want to see your numbers because I'm just not seeing that pipeline come through. And I would have then, based on that, would have known that the business wasn't doing what we needed to do. And we would have we would have transitioned much earlier. So I would have said, in terms of now generalizing this to the audience, is... <clears throat> If you can go back and pass and now, of course, what I'm doing right now is I'm having much more direct and honest conversations with all my partners. And I think now I'm seeing what is they appreciate it. Um, we're not just kind of soft footing around the hard questions. We're asking the hard questions as mutual business owners and mutual business leaders that builds respect. And quite frankly, I am now okay with if I'm asking respectfully and I'm just saying, hey, these are the objective things I'm seeing. And a partner doesn't is getting offended by my questions, then they're probably not the right partner for me. And I'm okay with that as well, because there has to be a cultural fit between the partnerships. And I want them to ask me those questions if we're doing something wrong. Hey, what's going on here? Why is it happening? Mm-hmm. And I think as business owners, we can't get defensive. We just have to objectively look at where we are and and adapt. Rohit, what's your advice to other CEOs or entrepreneurs who uh, or in the context of failure you know what's your advice to to them or you could also pick advice around scaling and growing where do you land yeah it's a little bit more philosophical on this one is that i want to be really clear and i don't think i've said it this way but i want to reiterate this matt i didn't feel bad about failing in fact i i've got a mindset that i'm not saying i'm happy about failing but i take i take failure as an opportunity to get better. 
Um, I One of the things I am proud about in our own company is we've got a very open culture where failure is talked about openly and it starts with the CEO. So for all the other CEOs out there, openly talk about your failures, even at the daily level, like, oh, I messed up. Um, I thought this meeting was 10 minutes earlier. Don't come up with an excuse. Oh, I was so busy, right? Just say, hey, I was I was wrong on this. Let's move on. And so I think openly accepting failure, which is why I was excited to be with you on this on this podcast, is because I think talking about it, sharing those those views just makes everybody more open. So it's more of a philosophical thing that I'd say I'd take away as I'd give advice is don't look at failure as your failure. I fundamentally believe we have no control what happens on this planet. Anything could happen at any time. The only thing we can control is our perception of it and our reaction to it. Um, and at the end of the day, yeah, I think if you have that mindset, you're in a much better mental framework to be able to address the issues uh, because you've got an entire team that's looking to you both um, literally and and just from an emotional support standpoint to kind of get you get the company out of any any kind of negative situation. That's such great advice. Um, one more thing on the advice side: Are there books or tools or resources that you encourage? other CEOs or entrepreneurs to use on their personal journeys? So many. I mean, I've got an entire book list that I can send to you. Um, I'm a, I'm an avid reader. I'm also a big believer in that um, having a personal CEO peer group, there's lots of different companies out there. I'll give a personal plug to one that I leverage quite often, which is Vistage. Uh, they're based around the country, but there's several companies like that. They're basically CEO peer groups where you can openly discuss issues. Uh, there's a level of vulnerability. There's a, there's a level of uh, a peer camaraderie um, that I think really helps you think through. And it, it's an hour. It's a it's a day a month where you get away from the business and you work on the business versus in the business. It's a very kind of common terminology, and I really believe in it. So I'd say read as many books as you can. There's so many great <clears throat> resources out there about what good books are out there. I can share the book list with you, Matt. I don't know if you post them somewhere. Yeah, man. Uh, get yourself as part of a peer group. Um, and it is an investment. Uh, you know, with Vistage, I think I spend like $18,000 a, a year, but <clears throat> I can draw at least $10 million of net income, direct line attribution, the things that I've learned and with my peers that I've implemented that have helped us grow. So in that sense, it's a, it's an incredible ROI. Amazing. Rohit, thanks for being uh, vulnerable and for sharing your personal story about failing. Obviously, that's just one of many. And as you know, <clears throat> so, you know, failure is a prerequisite for success. So thank you for being on the show and giving everybody your perspective.